The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, June 20th, 2022. The Chicago White Sox visited Houston over the weekend which has been a place of nightmares. The last time the White Sox won at the juice box was back in 2019. Now, I say 2019 because the White Sox did win a game over the weekend as they shockingly beat up Justin Verlander for seven runs, and Johnny Cueto was once again excellent for the White Sox. That's the good news from the weekend. But as it has been all 2022, every bit of good news also comes with very concerning news. Lucas Giolito got beat up and suddenly is having major issues facing an order a third time and after pitch 75. And also maybe throw back into the good news, Michael Kopech returned after an injury scare, but he gave up some home runs and he was only able to last 75 pitches. We'll talk more about what's working for Cueto, what's not working for Giolito, as both will be making starts in the upcoming seven-game homestand the White Sox have against Toronto and Baltimore. With a record of 31-33, and can the White Sox win five out of the next seven games to be above 500 next week? We'll discuss that also later in the show. For the dads listening, we hope you had a wonderful Father's Day yesterday. And joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. Jim, how was your first Father's Day? It was nice, although I spent it, uh, at least uh, a chunk of it, in Bowling Green watching the Winston-Salem Dash. So uh, I guess my gift was being able to do that uh, by myself, which is fine. And uh, how were the games in Bowling Green? I- I've never been to Bowling Green, Kentucky so how is the stadium? How did the dash do? Did anyone jump out at you? It's nice. I mean, like basically my experience is that every minor league park is nice now. <laughs> I think probably, hmm. especially after eliminating 40 teams that the parks that are remaining or are either uh, 
nice in in terms of modern like you know all four affiliates for the white Sox, or nice in terms of quaint like Asheville, like historic um you know they draw well hard to duplicate the charms in a modern park and either way like i i, I can't remember the last time i've been gone to a park and been disappointed in the minor leagues just they're all they're all nice just i think they all have to be and i think they're cheap enough to build to where like you can build them well i think it's more along the lines of just find good property and you're good to go um as for the dash like they played well enough they went uh they won thursday lost uh sunday brian ramos had some moments hit a big homer i did miss oscar Kloss's uh big homer but he had a couple moments uh you know, saw Adam Hackenberg catch a couple of games. Like the lineups were good. I got the full Duke Ellis experience, uh, uh, <laughs> running, sliding, stealing bases, trying to steal, getting ejected because he was called out in a stolen base attempt. Like he did it all. So no, it was, it was worth going. Uh, both games were, uh, you know, the, the lineups were what I wanted to see. And, uh, like Brian Ramos, I, I liked him before the season. I like him now. All right, excellent. And ex- actually, to plug the Future Sox podcast, I will be on the Future Sox podcast on Tuesday talking about what I saw in greater detail. Excellent. So again, as a reminder for all those that are subscribed to the Sox Machine podcast, also subscribe to the Future Sox podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So go into your podcast player, search Future Sox, subscribe to that show as well and listen to Mike, James, and Jim talk about his visit to Bowling Green and getting to see the Dash in person. Bringing it back to the White Sox. So the good news over the weekend, Jim, the White Sox won a game in Houston. Mm -hmm. The bad news, they still lost the series. They had a little comeback in the eighth inning on Sunday Night Baseball to make it a 4-3 to game. They couldn't score one more run. What's your big takeaway from the series against the Astros? It could have been worse after the 13 to three opening loss. And I imagine you were going to dig into that uh, pretty quickly, but that was basically to me, ALDS game five, which <laughs> is like a continuation of everything we saw last year. And just thought like, oh, they're completely outclassed again. This is, uh, this will feed the whole, even though they went to 11 and eight against the Rays, Red Sox and Yankees. It's just, uh, uh, this is just going to be a continuation of can't beat good teams and it matters. And, you know, with how poorly they played and pitched, like, yeah, they kind of deserve that rap, you know, uh, but then they beat up Justin Verlander. They, they were competitive in a game that I had fears about Michael Kopech. You know, like I, I wasn't sure about whether it was a smart idea to start him and he didn't look great, but he looked fine he looked healthy so like they they looked more evenly matched they looked like they belonged to be on the same field the White Sox did not look like an international league team against Houston so I think for that it's good enough it's just it's a kind of series where if the White Sox were comfortably over 500 you wouldn't think anything of it like oh good game bad game evenly matched game they ended up you know they ended up on the wrong end of one loss game but when they're trying to claw their way back over 500 and every series loss feels like a a missed opportunity. And this is one of those, but you know, I think if you isolate to a series, it's fine. Yeah. This was a lot more competitive than last year's games in Houston for the white Sox. last year in the regular season, that four game series, the only competitive game was the one that Carlos Rodon started mm-hmm. that the white Sox lost two to one. So at least the white Sox won a game in Houston, <laughs> 2022. Mm-hmm. They couldn't say the same, In 2021. So that's being positive. Let's stay being positive. Let's talk about Johnny Cueto. 
And Cueto made that start against Justin Verlander. And what I was expecting in that game was that Houston would jump out early on Cueto, score a few runs, Cueto would settle down, but the White Sox offense would have a terrible time against Verlander. The Astros win like four to nothing. Instead, the Astros don't jump on Cueto. It's the White Sox shutting out the Houston Astros. And it was so enjoyable to watch the White Sox hitters finally hit Justin Verlander and paper cut him to death with all these singles and doubles after a decade plus of being tormented by Justin Verlander starts uh, over the the years. And Jose Abreu still got it in him to, to punish Justin Verlander. But back to Cueto. This is now seven straight starts of five or more innings from Cueto in his appearances. Three out of his seven starts have been scoreless outings for Cueto. He finally picked up his first win with the White Sox on Saturday. His season ERA is 2.95, Jim. So what's working for Johnny Cueto? Kind of everything. Uh, Just because, you know, when you look at his pitch mix, it's random. Almost like he almost sets his pitches to shuffle. Uh, He throws five pitches and he throws all of them over, you know, 10%. He he alternates between like throwing his sinker the most and throwing his changeup the most or a slider. Uh, the, you know, he's been able to get off his four seamer and, and, and that's helped him, I think, battle any kind of concerns about diminishing velocity as he gets older. It's just being able to mix up his arsenal and he just looks comfortable. And, and you mentioned, you know, that you were afraid that Houston would jump out to a lead. And I think, you know, it's part of his... Um, you know, part of the risk with him, the way he pitches, he attacks, like he looks comfortable pitching in the zone and throwing strikes and he doesn't look afraid. And sometimes I think that lack of fear leads to, you know, a homer, you know, a couple crooked numbers before he settles in. Uh, it's, it's hard to hold that relief appearance against him. Like that, the early struggles he had in the five inning relief on mm-hmm. him, just because, uh, of what was asked of him, of him having no preparation, you're just happy he went five and was able to throw his next start. So I think uh, if you can set those, you know, that five innings aside, he's thrown six innings in every single start he's been asked to throw on normal schedule. And uh, he looks like, you know, when you watch Dylan Cease, you know, work inefficiently and you watch uh, Lucas Giolito work inefficiently and struggle and, and walk like the nine hitters. Like I, I wrote about this in the recap. I don't think you can say that, uh, Johnny Cueto is like the team's best pitcher uh, right now. I, I think, you know, maybe right now you can say it, but like, I think it's too soon or the sample size is too small to call him the team's best pitcher, but he is like the staff. If he's not the staff leader, he's the staff example. Like just, uh, yeah. Hmm. I yeah, like that. You know, it reminds me a little bit of Mark Burley. Like, yeah, Burley worked quickly and he threw strikes. Like if I, if I want to get, if I'm going to get my, my butt kicked, I want it to be happening quickly. <laughs> like I just don't, I don't want to draw it out. And like, yeah. he kind of has that same approach and the same, I guess, guile of just having, you know, five pitches he can throw in any order. And, you know, maybe, well, I think, you know, Giolito and Cease, they have the ability too because they should be able to throw their pitches in any order they want. Like we've seen Giolito throw eight changeups in a row. We've seen, you know, Cease throw sliders more than fastballs and throw his uh, changeup in weird counts. So I think, like, you know, they have that ability too, but just for whatever reason, they've been off their game. And now Cueto has stepped up to be this, you know, the, the guy who, if the White Sox can't win his start, he at least lasts long enough in the game to where like Tony Larusa can line up the pitchers for the next day a lot easier than he can after a Giolito or Cease outing. Absolutely. And on the season for Cueto, he is only allowed 15 runs. 
and he's allowed 36 hits, and he's allowed four homers. I bring these stats up because back to the point that you made, Jim, about Cueto starting early, that teams can jump on him. And to back up that eye test, looking at the splits based on how many pitches Cueto has thrown. So those 15 runs, eight of the 15 runs allowed by Cueto have been within the first 25 pitches he's thrown. 15 of the 36 hits he's allowed have been within the first 25 pitches. And three of the four home runs he's allowed has been within the first 25 pitches. Within the first 25 pitches for Cueto, opposing batters have an OPS of 847 and they're hitting 313. So that's kind of like the danger zone for Johnny Cueto. But after pitch 25, opponents' OPS from pitches 26 through 50 is 459. 51 through 75 pitches is 623. And then after pitch 76, when Cueto's running out of gas, opposing hitters only have a a, a 559 OPS against Cueto. And he's been very good... especially against the third time through the order, which opposing hitters are only hitting 641 when they see him a third time through the order. So it's that it's those first 25 pitches, Jim, that the next time that Cueto takes the ball and it's he's the scheduled starter for Thursday night against the Baltimore Orioles, I feel like if the opponents do not do damage within the first 25 pitches for Cueto, it's going to be smooth sailing for the White Sox. Yeah, he's only also, uh, with the first time through, he's faced 54 batters over his six uh, games first time through. He's only walked one of those 54 batters. It's very refreshing. Yeah, he comes right at you. Uh, And, you know, as we've seen, like sometimes that contact... They, they, sometimes they come right at him, you know, just kind of like a, uh, you know, like a, a, an old fashioned joust of just, you know, running right at each other. And sometimes Cueto loses, but, uh, you know, when you see just how many pitches, uh, you know, some of these starts are consuming and, uh, how many innings the bullpen has had to cover, especially like, you know, I think when you look at Giolito and see, it's like the walks to the eight and nine hitters or like the walk to mm-hmm. Alex Bregman in, in front of Jordan Alvarez. Like those are the ones that, uh, drive you nuts just being like, the one guy you can't walk, uh, especially like Bregman, nobody on, like just, you know, what are you afraid of? Bregman's having a down year. If he uh, gets on base by hit, so be it, you know, just the, the free bases I think are just what's uh, most irritating of this le- recent slump uh, with the uh, White Sox name brand starters. And we're going to get to Giolito in a moment, but for Johnny Cueto, this last point, you know, Kendall Graven's having a good season. AJ Pollock is on a roll. AJ Pollock, Jim, steak dinner watch is up to 101 weighted runs created plus. <laughs> I thought of you when that uh, ball kicked off the wall and turned Thank like a, a double into a triple. Like you needed that base. I needed that base. Thank you. This is going to be a f- fantastic finish. We got 10 more days. But then Johnny Cueto, out, out of the, I think I, I'm nominating these three and I'm presenting it to you with these three nominations. Which of these players has been the best addition by Rick Khan to this team for the season? I think it would have to be Cueto, just because when you look at... Um, well, I think Pollock gets points for turning Kimbrell into him, just because, you know, it, it was such a... As, You're not missing the Craig Kimbrell experience? No, uh, yeah, I, I don't think anybody <laughs> is. But the Kimbrell thing, it reminded me of like the, the Kimbrell to Pollock trade, it, you know... It, it was a good move, but also like it reminded me of like Kimbrel was kind of worth like 150,000 Chuck E. Cheese tickets. 
Like it's a lot of Chuck E. Cheese tickets, but they can only be used in one place and can only be used for like, you know, he was able to turn those tickets into like a, a three-year-old iPod that's still, you know, in its new packaging. It's just like, <laughs> okay, like, you know, it's, you get your money's worth. Like the Chuck E. Cheese tickets are worth nothing to most places and people. So you're able to get something you can use like, great. But it's also like, you know, you could have maybe just rather have that money for him to use something maybe more contemporary. But, you know, it was a good deal in and of itself. But I think... Uh, you know, with Pollock not playing right field and with him, you know, having the slow start and getting hurt, like we've seen some of the flaws as to, you know, why this wasn't the perfect addition. Cueto, I think, has just been everything anybody could have ever wanted from that signing. And, and uh, with Keuchel being DFA'd and not being missed, with Kopech, you know, being hurt, with Lynn being hurt, like they've needed every bit from Cueto. Even, you know, like I mentioned, like they think they're three and four in his outings and three and three in his starts. Like, it's not like he's, you know, helping them rack up wins by himself, but he's able to just make everybody else's job considerably easier. And I think if Cueto were replaced with Davis Martin or Jimmy Lambert or Renato Lopez, like I think, you know, just, I don't exactly know what the bullpen looks like. Just because, you know, does Matt Foster get exposed quicker? Does Jose Ruiz get exposed quicker? Do they not have those quick bursts? You know, just a lot of ways it can go, but uh, none of them good. All right, so let's move over to the bad news. And the bad news is Lucas Giolito. For our listeners, for your sanity and sake, if you decide to skip this segment, we will not blame you because we're going to be sharing some very, very scary numbers concerning with Lucas Giolito. So I'm going to take this moment... As a final warning, that if you continue listening through this segment and do not skip through this segment, is because you like pain and you want to hear how bad these numbers are. All right, here they are. Gilito against right-handed batters, Jim. Right-handed batters are hitting 318 with a 392 on base percentage against Gilito, and they're slugging 667. If you have that for any major leaguer, you're going to win the MVP with that type of slash line. This season in 2022 against the four-seamer, again, these are righties against Giolito. They have a 519 slugging percentage, and the average exit velocity against Giolito's fastball is 95.5 miles per hour. A hard hit is any ball batted with an exit velocity over 95 miles per hour. So the average is a hard hit every time for a right-handed hitter against Giolito. Giolito's slider, right-handed hitters are hitting 296 with a 611 slugging percentage. Don't worry, it gets worse. Giolito's changeup against righties. They're hitting 429 with an 857 slugging percentage against Lucas Giolito. Now, comparing that to 2021, the slugging percentage against the four seam was 496. The average exit velocity was 92.2 miles per hour. So we're talking about a more than three mile per hour increase from last year in the exit velocity. Righties against Giolito slider had a terrible time. They hit 163 with a 333 slugging percentage and the changeup, they couldn't figure it out. They hit 218 with a 446 slugging percentage against the changeup. Giolito's seven road starts this season. He's got an ERA of 5.77 in 34 innings. It gets worse. Times through the order for Giolito. The first time batters face Lucas Giolito, they're hitting 299 with a 384 on base percentage and they're slugging 598. The third time they face Lucas Giolito, 
They are hitting 392 with a 431 on base percentage and slugging 765. That is almost a 1200 OPS. It gets worse. Pitch count. Within the first 25 pitches, Lucas Giolito has allowed five home runs this year. Opponents are hitting at 1100 OPS. After pitch 75, opponents are hitting 429. 429 after pitch 75. And the White Sox are 4-7 and seven this season when Lucas Giolito starts. Jim, these are very, very scary numbers. What concerns you the most about Lucas Giolito? I think it's, you know, a couple of things. One is that um, there was a good article on Fangraphs talking about how high fastballs are not quite the weapon they used to be. Um, that hitters have figured out a little bit more of a game plan against them. It's still a tough pitch for them to to handle, to get on top of. Um, you know, pitchers are still pretty successful working on top of the zone, but it's no longer a um, like a push-button approach for pitchers. Like if they can locate a high spin four-seamer at the top of the zone, automatic strikeout, especially if it can be paired with a curveball or a changeup or something that tunnels well with it, but does not have the same effect. So I think, you know, a little bit of... Um, Giolito's success was riding this trend and then a lot, a little bit of his uh, tail off, I think has been a little bit of this trend, uh, you know, hitters figuring out an, an antidote a little bit, you know, like it's not quite, uh, they haven't solved it, but they have a little bit of a defensive again. They have antibodies against it. I think that's a fair way to say. Um, so there's that. So, you know, that, that limits one of his big weapons. And I think after that, I think it's, uh, the slider is not really a factor. I think the changeup, his effectiveness against lefty shows that his changeup is achieving its primary purpose of neutralizing opposite handed hitters. And really, like if you're righty and you're looking to, you know, put, uh, you know, I guess to be a starter, like Jimmy Lambert has a struggle against left handed, you know, uh, hitters. He does not have that changeup. It's a little bit better this year, actually, but like in previous years, he has not had that weapon against left handed hitters, you know. Uh, a lineup like Cleveland that is very modular, even if they don't have like great left-handed hitters, they can do damage against them. He can't go more than one time through. And I think Giolito with that changeup, he's not having the same success against righties with it, but it's still a weapon against lefties. It still achieves its primary purpose. That's fine. But the slider is just not really a factor. And it reminds me a little bit of Dallas Keuchel in that with Keuchel, if he wasn't getting lefties out, he was pretty much doomed. Like if he wasn't getting lefties out at an above average rate, because righties were always going to hurt him to some extent or another. Um, lefties, he had to get out. And once lefties started hitting him as well as righties, the game was basically over for him. He could not figure it out. And he's right now you know, trying to get back in the majors. But that was just not being able to locate that slider away. Uh, basically spelled the beginning of the end for him as a starter. And I think Giolito is not, he's not facing the end, but I think he's having the same kind of issues where all of a sudden he can't get righties out with any kind of reliability. And uh, if teams were already wary of like stacking lefties against him because of that changeup, now that rewards them even more so for being just aggressive by using their best hitters, even if they're right-handed because uh, righties just don't have, to, you know, like they might see a changeup, they might follow it off more. Like they, I think they're, not punishing it the way they are a slider, but at least they're 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 not swinging and missing the way that they did before. So I think that slider, I think, you know, with the high fastball not being as effective just because of league-wide trends, the slider needs to improve, uh, I think, in order for him to get back on track. Do you think he's got to throw it more? Because in his next start against Toronto, 
and we're going to talk about how well Toronto's offense has been hitting. They've been one of the best offenses in the month of June in all of Major League Baseball. It, and we've seen Toronto already beat up Lucas Giolito, and he had a meltdown against the Blue Jays when the White Sox had a lead against Kevin Gaussman, of all pitchers, and he wasn't able to hold on to it. It's just that I'm asking about the slider, Jim, because – I don't know where to turn to. These numbers are so bad. Like, if I presented these numbers to you and asked which pitcher am I describing, you may mm-hmm. you may guess Dallas Keuchel. Like, Lucas Giolito has a 0.2 war on baseball reference. Like, he's pitching at or below league average now after his first 11 starts of the season. The White Sox can't have this. They can't have Lucas Giolito be this bad because they're counting on him to be one of their aces on the staff to lead the rotation like he has in 2019, 2020, and 2021. I don't think this is a slump. This is like a two-by-four smacking you right in the face right now. He's bad Mm -hmm. the first time facing hitters. You can't have him face the hitters a third time. I think... That in his next start against Toronto, when the pitch count hits 70, Tony La Russa needs to have a reliever warmed up. He needs to have someone ready to go in the bullpen waiting for that implosion to come. Because now I'm I'm getting a little ranty here. I'm sorry, podcast listeners. But with Giolito, there's two two aspects of managing the situation. One, you need to fix Lucas Giolito. Because when he's right, he's one of your best starting pitchers. But you need to manage the games to win the games. You're in third place still. You're still below 500 in mid-June. You need to start stacking up wins. In order to put the White Sox in the best position to win the game, if that means pulling Lucas Giolito at pitch 74, so be it until he gets more confidence that he can have more clean outings. But right Mm -hmm. now... I don't think the White Sox can trust Lucas Giolito to throw more than 75 pitches, Jim, because he has these meltdowns, and that's how you get Friday night where all of a sudden the Astros score 10 runs in the sixth inning. Yeah, I I think my issue with with that way it was handled, like basically the way Matt Foster pitched with Tanner Banks pitched after him, you know, trying to close out that inning. Maybe there was no answer. Maybe like, you know, Giolito leaves two batters earlier. Foster struggles for two batters more and it just all shakes out the same. So I was like, in that case, like I was, you know, irritated and then realized like, Oh, this just went downhill and Foster's kind of, you know, had a really rough go of it lately too. So maybe he wasn't the answer, but you know, I, I think with Giolito, like just not having a pitcher up until I think it was like three or four batters into the inning. That's what I didn't get. <laughs> like it's just because uh, I think that yeah. coaching staff, Katz and Larusa, look at Giolito and say he's only at seventy-five pitches. He yeah. should go a hundred for us. So he should still have something left in the tank. The numbers are screaming. No, he does not. Yeah, we'll see what kind of shape the bullpen is in. You know, part of it I think is you know. Just wanting to get that extra inning from the starter to take an extra mid, medium to high leverage inning away from the bullpen. And we've seen that with C starts. We've seen that with uh, Giolito multiple times. So I can understand that impulse. And I guess we'll have to see what the bullpen looks like by the time it gets to him. But like, should it be another case where like they've had a run of decent starts or the games have been out of hand to where... Tanner Banks can clean up and Kendall Graveman is not needed. And, you know, Lopez can finish a game by himself. So Joe Kelly isn't needed. Uh, and, you know, if that's the case, and I would like to see somebody warming 
in a close game in the fifth or sixth inning, whenever Giolito hits that mark third time through or 75 pitches, whichever comes first, just to, you know, if nothing else, show that one, they're aware of it. And two, letting Giolito know they're aware of it. And like, uh, you know, you have to execute better because, you know, you've lost a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe you can get past it. Maybe it's a slump, mechanical rut, uh, what have you. And, you know, we're not saying you can't, but we just want to be prepared if you don't. I'm going to have this preemptive argument with a certain sect of White Sox fans that may bring this up. But this is how I feel, Jim. If Lucas Giolito throws five scoreless innings and he's at pitch 75, I want the White Sox to go to a different pitcher in the sixth inning. He needs a clean outing like that and just avoid pitch 76 right now. He may not like it because he may still feel like I'm the ace and I should be throwing 100 pitches. You know what? Dallas Keuchel felt the same way too. But you have to manage these games. You have to start stacking up some wins. You got to get yourself at a 500 or above 500. And, you know, these names and the White Sox, and Tony La Russa has said this, that, you know, they take the data seriously. It feeds into some of their decision making. These numbers are very scary. And opponents are just crushing him right now. Uh, like the third time through the order and after pitch 75, I don't know what is going on. I mean, opponents hitting 429 against you after pitch 75? Mm-hmm. Like, I I don't know how you fix that. So going back to the slider and his next start against the Blue Jays, I, okay, I buy that. We should probably see more sliders from Lucas Giolito. But if he doesn't have the slider early... Is that going to be the sign? Like Cueto, we just talked about, if he's clean through the first 25 pitches, it could be smooth sailing. If Giolito doesn't have his slider early, are we in for another rocky start against the Blue Jays? Yeah, I mean, like looking at his data, he has thrown the slider more than the fastball. Uh, This, you know, last four starts or so, or about even with the, you know, with the fastball, he's trying to get off his fastball. I think he was really using it to great success early on. But I think it's just... Um, you know, command with everything. And, and I think, you know, the, his fastball is still good, or at least it was good before COVID. Um, I'm not blaming COVID on, you know, who knows if it's COVID or something else, but I'm, I'm not saying it's COVID, just using it as a reference for time mm-hmm. frame we're talking about. Like since coming back from that, like just the fastball command has not been there. And I think he's had to feel around for everything, but just the, the, if the fastball command isn't there, maybe the everything command isn't there. So maybe it's just a matter of like, no matter what he throws, it's just all off. Cause I mean, like he's tried the, he had an uptick in changeups and then he got in trouble, you know, with some of his changeup locations and just, I think he's just feeling around right now. Like, you know, he, you look at a stack cast data, the strikeout data is good. The whiff data is good, but just everything else is kind of rotten. And I think it just kind of speaks to some sequencing, maybe pitching from the stretch problems to where like one, one bad batter uh, leads to other bad batters uh, just because of, you know, the way he's not locating. So it does seem like, you know, the slider, when you look at the kind of what pitch he needs to neutralize righties, that would be the big one. But I think, you know, I'm not sure based on the way his other pitches are performing kind of just as, you know, Ifily slash putridly, you know, while he's going through this rough stretch, um, you know, you may not be able to isolate it and say like the slider needs to be better. Just maybe it's a case where everything needs to be better or the one thing he's not doing to get command in his fastball is the reason why his other pitches are lacking as well. What gives me hope that he could turn it around is that Ethan Katz is the pitching coach. 
Katz has known Giolito for a very long time. I have confidence that Katz could maybe find what is ailing Giolito and get Giolito to make an adjustment. He has to make an adjustment. There is no other option. He has been pitching so poorly as of late that once again, a bad stretch has sunk Giolito's 2022 season. Uh, Very much like last year, his terrible start at Boston derailed his chances of winning the American League Cy Young. He's in his prime. He -hmm. shouldn't be having these types of stretches. He's just... Giolito's just too talented to have these bad at numbers. So hopefully in the next bullpen session, he and Ethan Katz have figured out something to fix Lucas Giolito, and he has a much better performance against the Toronto Blue Jays in his next start. Now, we did get this question from one of our Patreon supporters from Mark Sambor, and Mark wrote to us, Jim, can Lucas Giolito's issues be tied back to the start of the sticky stuff enforcement and have the White Sox dodged a bullet by not signing Giolito to a long-term extension? I think it's separate from the sticky stuff uh, issue. I think, you know, basically across the league, um, you know, Giolito was not alone in having a dip in the, you know, spin rates and everything like that. And, you know, as Josh Donaldson called him out for being, you know, one of the more notable cases, but he also rebounded uh, well enough and his pitches performed well and he performed well. So I think it's a case where, you know, it's uh, not the primary reason. Like, I, I don't think you can use that as, uh, you know, it might be something where it reduces his margin for error. And so like when he's, you know, reverts back to being ordinary, then it just becomes a case where like, oh, you know, just he doesn't have that extra, I don't know, how many RPM just to, get a pop-up instead of line drive. You know, maybe that's, a, you know, that's, that's the difference we're talking about here, but I'm looking last year's game log from 4th of July's last 15 starts. He had a 3.18 ERA. Like he was fine last year. That's so good. I, yeah. No, I mean like he was, you know, 90 strikeouts over 85 innings, you know, like everything was fine. Good. Only one unearned run too. So the FIP was good. ERA was good. Everything was there. So I don't think that's a sticky stuff thing. Um, yeah it seems like separate issues and he says it's a mechanical thing, you know, part of it was velocity was down. So he's trying to get his velocity back, his velocity to come back, but his location is off. So it does seem like he's battling himself a little bit. And, you know, perhaps with him being a bigger pitcher that, you know, you hear when bigger pitchers are drafted, uh, you know, or in college ranks where, you know, it just takes them longer to refine their mechanics because um, especially if they're large in, high school just because of the way like uh the body matures and the way just it, it you know you get your body cooperating the coordination uh with longer limbs it takes longer to get everything you know where it needs to be on time and you know perhaps with uh you know larger picture like this like maybe it's a case where if he had to do like the high maintenance work to get everything in order and you know perhaps it's a case where when it gets out of whack it takes uh, you know, a little bit more concentrated work to get it back on track. That's just one thing that comes to mind. But I would say it's not really a sticky stuff thing, but it is, you know, something that does give you pause in terms of just exactly, um, you know, what move they should make when it comes to the kind of contract. Like if he wants a Jose Barrios seven-year, $130 million deal, like that's a, this is the kind of stretch where you think like, well, seven years feels like a lot when it's this kind of stretch where nothing's working. So uh, yeah, it would benefit him to turn around for multiple reasons, but, um, yeah, it's when you look at how the White Sox have performed with, uh, you know, Yohan Makata's uh, long-term extension and Eloy Jimenez not getting the early returns in that one. Yeah. I think having Giolito for a similar deal right now, 
uh, would make you feel a little bit itchy. Um, but I think the, the, the story on that hasn't been written yet. And uh, I think by the end of the year, well, I hope by the end of the year, maybe by the deadline, we might be talking about exactly what the White Sox should be doing with Giolito. But uh, yeah, in another, I would say in probably another three starts, um, it'll be a, a, a conversation worth revisiting. If, hmm. uh, you know, whether he turns around and yeah. I would say if he turns around and the team doesn't, or if he doesn't turn around, you know, what do the White Sox do with him? Do they try to move on? It's, it's, with this kind of stretch and with, you know, as you mentioned, all the numbers uh, pointing to nothing he's doing well. That's, I think, the kind of stretch where, you know, it's a little bit hyperbolic to talk about, like, moving on from G. Lito, but also just, you know, it is something where you pay attention to it because a decision will have to be made over the next uh, year and a half of just how much more Giolito you want. Well, he's got 17 to 18 more starts left this season. If the White Sox do decide to keep him, I'm entertaining this hypothetical that the White Sox could pull a Minnesota Twins from last year and trading Jose Breos as the Twins did last year. I guess it is in the realm of possibility for the White Sox, but I'm being optimistic that he could turn this around and have a strong 17 to 18 start finish like we have seen from him in in the past three seasons. Lucas Giolito is a good pitcher. He's too talented to have these poor of numbers. And hopefully he starts turning around for the White Sox sake in his next start against the Toronto Blue Jays. Speaking of the Toronto Blue Jays, that's the next series for the White Sox. The White Sox are still two games below 500 as they start this seven game homestand. Can they finish the week strong and get themselves back to above 500? We'll discuss next on the Sox Machine Podcast after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. The Chicago White Sox next opponent is the Toronto Blue Jays. And if you recall, the season series right now is all Blue Jays. They swept the White Sox in Toronto. They're up 3-0 on the White Sox. This is a three-game series that goes from Monday through Wednesday and it starts a seven-game homestand for the White Sox. 
The Toronto Blue Jays are 38 and 28 on the season. They're second place in the American League East. They would be the fourth seed in the American League playoff picture. They're 10 games above 500, but they're 11 games back of the New York Yankees in the American League East. That's how well the Yankees have been playing in 2022. The Blue Jays are 5-5 five five in their last 10 games as they lost their series against the Yankees. They won on Sunday a great come-from-behind victory for the Blue Jays to salvage that series at home, but they lost the previous two games against the Bronx Bombers. Your pitching probables for this series on Monday at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. Great news for the White Sox. Tim Anderson will be returning to the lineup. He'll be batting leadoff and playing shortstop. Jose Breos will be making the start for the Blue Jays against Lance Lynn, making his second start with the White Sox. Tuesday night, this is part of our watch party that we co-host with our friends from the 108. It's Kevin Gaussman again, this time facing Dylan Cease. And then Wednesday afternoon, this is a 1.10 p.m. Central Time start as it's getaway day for the Blue Jays. Ross Stripling will be making the start, the former Dodger for the Blue Jays, and he'll be going up against Lucas Giolito, who we just spoke so much about. Jim, this series is before the four-game series against the Baltimore Orioles. The White Sox are currently two games below 500. By the time we talk next week on Monday, is this the week that they could get above 500? Possible, but I don't quite think so. Okay. Like, I think I want to see a little bit more from, you know, Lynn's first start, hard to know. Um, kind of reminds me of our early Johnny Cueto discussions. Uh, and, you know, he got pounded early, and then he eventually kind of refined his command and stopped throwing pitches in the middle of the zone. Finished better than he started. So I think when it comes to Lynn, still want to exactly, I don't want to write him off yet or like say he's anything because we saw Cueto just refine, refine, refine over the course of every outing after his late start to the season. So Lynn, I think, can do the same thing. Giolito, we just talked about, uh, you know, we spoke so highly of. And then, you know, Cease in the between, like he's not getting killed, but part of that is just he's allowed so many unearned runs. Like he's got a 2.91 ERA, but he's given up 11 unearned runs. Like it's just a... Uh, you know, there's a case where, like, he's not pitching as well as, you know, it, it's hiding a lot. I'll put it that way. Like, he's he's uh, not he's not quite providing the depth that he was earlier. But then again, like, you know, Brios has been rough. Uh, the White Sox have kind of signaled the start of uh, Gaussman's struggles. Like, he's lost three starts in a row and kind of all by the same script of just getting hit more. And then Stripling's been, you know, he's the kind of pitcher who can shut down the White Sox. So this series doesn't feel great to me um, just because of the, you know, Issues with the pitcher is taking the mound. Um, my hope is that, uh, you know, and I think it, my one complaint about the Astro series, the way they beat Justin Verlander is a hard way to beat pitchers, just, you know, with singles finding the holes. Uh, you you would have liked to see them get a couple cheap homers themselves to kind of partake in the ball and air uh, benefits that you mm -hmm. love talking about, and they didn't quite do that. So to come home in a hot... Uh, you know, should be a weather's, uh, should be ripe for homers and the, the ball should be flying. Like the White Sox have not shown the components to take advantage of that. So that's what makes me nervous. I think about this is that, uh, the Blue Jays can, the White Sox haven't been able to tap into that yet this month. The weather in Chicago for these games, Monday's game, 94 degrees, Tuesday's game, 98 degrees, Wednesday's game, 84 degrees. I do not want to hear about, well, just wait until the weather is warm. The weather is warm 
in Chicago. It's beyond warm in Chicago. The ball is going to fly out of the ballpark in this series, whether it's coming off the White Sox or the Blue Jays bats. And I'm glad you mentioned the White Sox offense, Jim, because in the month of June, this without a doubt is going to be one of the talking points at part of NBC Sports Chicago's broadcast on Monday. The White Sox are tied for first in Major League Baseball at batting average in the month of June. As a team, they're hitting 293. That's awesome. They're tied with Toronto. The White Sox are fourth in on-base percentage with a 347 clip. Toronto leads the league in on-base percentage. The White Sox are 10th in Major League Baseball in this month, slugging at 427. The White Sox have only hit 14 home runs this month, Jim. That's 26th in Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. Now, as I mentioned, Tim Anderson is returning. Can this death by a thousand paper cuts offense sustain? Because there's nobody better at this type of offense than Tim Anderson in Major League Baseball. But collectively, as a team, they have suddenly embraced this style of offense where forget about the home runs. They're going to live by hitting a bunch of singles and doubles. Yeah, they entered Sunday with a 364 betting average on balls in play in June. Totally so, sustainable. <laughs> so it offset like they had a really rough, uh, they had a 245 BABIP uh, in April. So I think that's regression. Yeah, they had 294 in May. So I think this is the leveling out. And I think they're more or less where they should be on the season now. But the thing with Tim Anderson is like watching the highlights, did he run hard once in Charlotte? No idea. Like I was watching the clips, you know, Jeff uh, Cohen had been you know, relaying at bats and such. And just like, he'd been taking it pretty easy down the line, you know, not running unnecessarily. He thought he got a homer turned into a wall ball that he got thrown out at second because he wasn't running hard on the box. And like, so like that makes me, you know, I just didn't see the kind of effort, you know, I, I shouldn't say like in terms of like, you know, just working hard now, but does he seem like he was still guarding his legs, which I don't think is sustainable for him to be the kind of impactful player you know he is when you know when he's legging out infield singles or turning singles into doubles you know ranging for the shortstop like the full tim anderson package like it's if he's not running hard like yeah it's gonna be tough so that that's my one reservation about expecting too much from anderson like i don't know this feels it feels rushed to me uh him coming back the way he's coming back like perhaps i'm being over concerned like i was concerned about kopek and so far you know one outing in kopek looked fine not not great, not electrifying, but looks like he can build off it. You know, if he was guarding his knee a bit, you know, he survived. Um, but, you know, Anderson, like, I don't know, just the White Sox history, recent history of leg injuries, lower body injuries, you know, recurring, uh, having to go back to the injured list or having to interrupt rehab stints for the same issues, like, just makes me nervous. So I'm trying not to expect much from Tim Anderson because uh, just I don't know if he's been tested. At least he played his position compared to Aloy Jimenez, who has not been playing games at all for Charlotte. I think you may be on something that something feels rushed about this process. It's great that Tim Anderson's back, but what you would hate to see is that a ball in the hole that he is ranging to his left like he did before, and he comes up limping, and the groin injury has resurfaced. Like, that's what you really want to avoid in this situation is that Anderson is hurt again. We're all going to be waiting on the news because the White Sox have to dump a pitcher today on Monday uh, to meet the Major League Baseball rules. Tim Anderson needs to be added back to the 26th man. 
roster. Yoan Makata, his leg is barking up on him. Lurie Garcia is dealing with side discomfort. Someone is going on the injured list. Okay. Tim Anderson returns. Someone else has to replace him on the injured list. This is just how 2022, this is how the rules work for the White Sox, Jim. All right. Mm-hmm. They're never allowed to be fully healthy this season, it seems like. Take a penny, leave a penny. Pretty much. <laughs> Take an injury, leave an injury. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh, man. But it'd be good to see Tim Anderson back in the lineup. But no, I don't think this is a sustainable model of offense for the White Sox. And again, all the things that we just pointed out, if they're going to try to beat the Blue Jays with this death by a thousand paper cut style, well, the Blue Jays are hitting just as well. They're doing a better job of getting on base and they are hitting for power. This is a much better version of the offense that the White Sox have shown in June. Now, this is a great improvement for the White Sox. Bless up. We're starting to see more balls in play. We're starting to see the White Sox get more success as far as generating runs to help support the pitching staff, especially during this road trip for the White Sox. That's all good. But again, this is also bringing up the things that we talked about from the last postseason is that the White Sox also had a lot of hits in the divisional series against the Houston Astros, but they weren't hitting for power. And when you get into that postseason, mind of frame, you, the teams that are hitting the home runs are the teams that are winning those games. That's how the Atlanta Braves snuck up and surprised everyone in the postseason. And the White Sox have hit 14 home runs this month. Mm-hmm. So fingers crossed in these seven home games, the White Sox really turn it on and they hit 14 home runs in this seven game homestand. And then we're not too worried about it, but you know, it's great that they're hitting for contact. It's great that they're getting on base. Lots of traffic. It'd be very nice if they could start reversing some of these home run trends for the White Sox against their opponents. And we'll be recapping as far as the series between the White Sox and the Blue Jays and Sox Machine Live. That's going to be on Wednesday night because, again, the White Sox have a Thursday through Sunday four-game weekend series against the Baltimore Orioles. That Orioles team can hit. That Orioles team cannot pitch. So the White Sox should have some, some success this upcoming weekend in scoring runs. Before we get into your questions at P.O. Sox, I feel like we also need to just take our White Sox cap off for a moment, Jim, and look at the American League Central because the Cleveland Guardians are now one game back of the Minnesota Twins in the standings. The Guardians and Twins will be facing each other eight times in the next 11 games. They have a three-game series Tuesday through Thursday. That's going to be at Minnesota. Then both teams have a different weekend opponent. Cleveland's going to be facing the Boston Red Sox. So this is a pretty tough stretch for Cleveland that they're on. They just won their series in Los Angeles. Now they go to Minnesota. They come home for a series against the Boston Red Sox, who've been playing a lot better baseball. Then next week, Cleveland and Minnesota have that five-game series in four days. And those games are in Cleveland. So three at Minnesota, five at Cleveland. Jim, that leads everyone to the end of June. Who do you think will be leading the American League Central on July 1st? I'm trying not to let recency bias uh, you know, kind of lead me too much, but I've been watching the Guardians all year and just watching their runs loud column. And they're always, you know, no matter who's hurt, who's throwing well, who's not, you know, like Shane Bieber not having the velocity he's used to. 
they still just don't really allow runs or they don't have like, you know, the, the, the gaps in their pitching staff that other teams do and other teams have to contend with. So you look at that number and that just makes me think like that, you know, they have, I've always been skeptical just because they ignore their outfield so much that they just, they, they kept the ceiling on the team, but I think the team maybe has the highest floor of the, uh, of the central just because they don't, you know, they, they seem to be able to fill in their rotation, their bullpen very well. So I'm inclined to think that the Guardians can sneak ahead just because they don't, I think they're kind of hard to, uh, hard to get into a losing streak. I mean, they've won six series in a row. Yeah. They're red hot. I, I'm with you. Like we've been spending so much time in the last few months. How are the White Sox going to catch the twins? How are they going to catch the twins? And I, July 1st, when the White Sox go to San Francisco after their series against the Angels, the question will be, okay, how can the White Sox catch the Guardians? <laughs> you yeah, know, it cause, changes. Because I think the, the Yankees have kind of poisoned the whole uh, pitching discussion this year with just how insane their numbers are, are across yeah. the board. They still haven't allowed 200 runs this year. Um, yeah, the run differential of 143. They're 49 and 17. Like, just... The Yankees are on pace to win 122 games this year, Jay. Yeah, and they needed to lose. Uh, basically, they lost in dramatic fashion. The Blue, Je- Blue Jays had to clobber their way uh, to beat them. Yeah, it was it was a it was a rare occurrence that the uh, Yankees blew a lead that they, that they did uh, Sunday. So you look at the way they're pitching and just like it it kind of warps the entire context for what the rest of the league is doing. But you look at the uh, runs allowed across baseball. The only team better in the American League besides Yankees is Houston. And then the National League, the only team better is the Dodgers. So they're there among the elites in pitching. And with Jose Ramirez there and then just, you know, they they don't really have, they're still looking for the, you know, running mates alongside Ramirez. But what they're really good at this year is just finding random hot guys for like, you know, two weeks at a time. And, and just, you know, like Stephen Kwan early, like when he mm-hmm. used a sensational story early, then Josh Naylor has some big games. Like Fran, Fran Mio Reyes hasn't gotten going, but now here comes Andre Jimenez. Like just, they, they have some running mates, you know, like they don't, they don't have that season long guy, but they have just, they're able to sequence Ramirez with other guys. And that's why he's got that like, you know, insane RBI number that he has right now, uh, despite the lack of like, you know, fixtures offensively around him. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, for the betting folks that listen to this, I do have a Cleveland guardians winning the American league central bet that pays nine to one. And that suddenly is making me look very smart right now with how they're playing baseball. But everything that you just explained, Jim sounds very familiar to a team that won the American league central last year, stacking really hot two week, uh, performances offensively and, uh, finding way to win the division. I respect the heck out of Cleveland. I think Terry Francona is a fantastic manager. Thankfully, he's healthy for them. Last year, he was dealing with health issues. And he's got this team playing great baseball right now. But, you know, while the White Sox had this seven-game homestand, if the White Sox could catch on fire and they win five out of seven, that's great. But at the same time, everyone needs to keep an eye on what's going on between these Cleveland and Minnesota games. Because again, on July 1st, Jim and I both agree it might be Cleveland leading the American league central, not Minnesota uh, at the end of the month. We did get this question from Benny and uh, we'll be answering more questions in PO Sox in a moment. 
but Benny wrote to us, Jim, how does the new ownership of Cleveland in the near future make you feel? Nervous because now a division foe will have money to spend? Excited for when Reinstorf's family finally sells? Etc. Yeah, David Blitzer is a new minority owner, and he's got like a six-year plan to become the majority owner. I think it can happen faster, but I think it just... Uh, Starts out like 25%, then can increase it over the course of six years before he takes over from Larry Dolan and, uh, sorry, Paul Dolan. And it's a case where um, it is something to pay attention to, like in the big picture, but I think for the immediate picture, it's still going to be Dolan in charge. And I think we're seeing the same thing in Kansas City where John Sherman uh, bought the team from David Glass and you're expecting, oh, billionaire owner, like here's a case where now they have deeper pockets and so longer uh, David Glass's kind of penny pitching habits in charge that this is going to be different. And right now it's not different because Dayton Moore is still there. So, you know, it could be a case where, yeah, the Guardians are just as resourceful uh, with their front office, but now they have even more resources. Or it could be the case where, just it takes a while for Dolan's habits to clear out. And even then, even when he goes, like it could be a case where it's just, they're used to not spending much and they're fine, like turning over profits and having success with, you know, not spending much. And so it's something that we're, you know, I think with Sherman, I kind of have the same attitude, like I need to see something before I get really nervous because like, you know, the White Sox right now are spending the kind of money they're supposed to be spending. We can, you know, we have debated and will continue to debate like how well they're spending it. But like, this is the window where the White Sox should define themselves as the financial juggernaut in the central. Like, will it happen? Who knows? But like, this is, this is what they were lining up to be. And if they can draw the way they're expecting to draw, uh, then we really shouldn't be worried about just Cleveland's incremental spending increases. But uh, should this rebuild kind of fall flat or plateau early to where, um, you know, interest stalls and they don't quite capitalize with the deep postseason runs we were expecting, then uh, it could invite that conversation sooner. But for the time being, I think I'm just focused on whether the White Sox are actually doing what they need to do to capitalize on this window they've created, because this should be the, uh, you know, three to five year era of White Sox dominance, kind of like that, those uh, Detroit teams under Dombrowski to where like they spent uh, they made money to spend and they spent money they made. Like that's where the White Sox should be. Uh, but if they don't get there, then they have nobody to blame but themselves and would rather keep the blame focused on themselves rather than looking for premature worries, I think. Good points, Jim. And thank you so much for your question, Benny. And speaking of questions, it's now time to answer more of your guys' questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where our Patreon supporters, they take over. They ask the questions that if you would like to pose a question to us or topic in a future Sox Machine podcast episode, you have to be a Patreon supporter and you can do so at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And for our Patreon supporters, as always, thank you guys for your continued support. The first question that we have from our Patreon mailbox, Jim, comes from Alec. And Alec wrote to us, what is the status of Sox Machine on 670 The Score now with the new Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Home Show? Nothing has changed. Uh, we, Josh and I will still be alternating on Fridays at 1 o'clock as long as the Cubs aren't playing. Yep. If you want to learn more about that show, Lawrence Holmes, one of our best friends of the show, 
on his podcast, The House of L, which you could listen to wherever you listen to podcasts. He goes way more in depth about that new particular show and the merging of two shows because they're going to be on from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 670 The Score. So if you want to know more about that type of show, definitely go to Lawrence's podcast, The House of L, wherever you listen to podcasts. But yeah, it's those pesky Cubs Day games on Friday. Who plays at 110 on Friday still? Don't they have lights? Come on. Yep. But Alec, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Brendan. And Brendan wrote to us, if you could get in your socks machine time machine and go back to the fall, knowing everything you know now, and with the same money the White Sox spent to solve that position for Lurie Garcia and Josh Harrison, how would you address second base? I think I probably, you know, based on what we know now and Danny Mendick looking fine and Yolbert Sanchez looking like somebody who might be able to contribute and, and Lenine Sosa coming out of nowhere to be a threat, like I would say don't spend that money. Like just don't spend that money on second base. Like, you know, don't bother, you know, $11 million for Larry and, uh, and Harrison. Just use it elsewhere. Give Carlos Rodon that qualifying offer. Uh, you know, go look at uh, Starling Marte, maybe, you know, instead of the, the AJ Pollock sign, you know, trade that they made. Like if you're looking for a 30 something outfielder who can play, you know, across the outfield and contribute uh, with his, you know, kind of all around game, like maybe Marte is the guy, like just the, I, I think those would be the kind of areas I would look at uh, rather than throwing resources, resources at second base, because I think like the answer would be like either like Trevor story or internal options and, and find the one that works. But I think that's really, um, you know, if, if Semyon wasn't going to happen and Semyon came way above that price range and uh, and so did Seager, like I think that would be the case where like Story would be probably the cap for the kind of money you could spend in that position and feel like you got something for it. So a follow-up, we haven't talked about this because, again, my assumption is that someone's going on the injured list when Tim Anderson returns. Josh Harrison, there's a lot of people asking if he's going to get DFA'd this week or when will he get DFA'd and that Lurie Garcia contract looks absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. What do you think the near future is for both Lurie Garcia and Josh Harrison with the White Sox, Jim? Well, it was, it was funny when I was on the future Sox podcast, uh, James, James Fox mentioned to me that, uh, uh, Josh Harrison's agent was responding to his tweets or a tweet talking about, um, you know, whether this was the, uh, you know, whether Harrison's going to be DFA'd after you know, this game just because of how little he's offering. He went over three with five stranded. Did draw a walk, but probably should have struck out on yep. that check swing. Like, should have been over four, was over three with the walk, but um, I'm looking for any. Yeah, James tweeted, is tonight Josh Harrison's last game with the White Sox? Was the roster move to accommodate Tim Anderson's return otherwise? And he just kind of threw it out as an open question. And Harrison's agency responded, ridiculous tweet, batting almost 400 since June 9th. Amazing defense. Look it up. 45 DRS at second and third in his career. Uh, plus 271 career average, 4,000 plate appearances. Lots of balls hit hard. His last out was 101 miles. Like just kind of going in these, you know, just a grab bag of stats that favored him. And just like, you know, nothing against James because I would say the same thing about like if he responded, if, if like Josh Harrison's agent responded to me, like I think if you're responding to like, me or James or anybody who isn't like a like you know anybody who isn't like a national voice on this matter and even if you are like even if you're responding at all you're losing like you know Josh Harrison has over 10 years of service time like he crossed 10 years this year like he's 
Yeah, like Lorenzo Kane, like he got DFA'd like yeah. after crossing the 10 year service line. It was, it was nice for the Brewers to do that. Like it's very important to be fully vested and, and get every single day of that service time. Like Harrison crossed that this year. So like he no longer they no longer have to sweat it out together in terms of getting it across. So this should be like, hey, the rest of the year is guaranteed. Uh, you have a positive reputation, so you might be able to find a job at the White Sox, you know, dump you and, and you know, go on elsewhere. Like, you don't need to respond to James. Like, this is kind of, it does, uh, you know, desperation is a stinky cologne. That's what it kind of reminds me of. So, yeah, just, it doesn't look good. And, yeah, with Harrison, like, I just don't, aside from, um, you know, high-stepping into bases, there isn't really anything he does that, you know, Danny Mendick can play defense. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, Gilbert Sanchez can play defense. Like other guys can do what he does. You know, the hard contact that uh, his agency was talking about was into the ground. Like you know, lots of people can hit hundred mile per hour grounders. Like it's, it's the line drives are special. So yeah, it's when it's getting to that, um, not good. Um, but it does seem like, you know, Garcia is kind of around on the three-year deal. I imagine like a DFA doesn't come into play until next year. Uh, if that's the case, but yeah, it's not good. No, not good at all. Brendan, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Dave and Dave wrote to us. If you had caught a white Sox players, first career home run, what would you demand in exchange for the baseball? And how long would ESPN keep talking about it during the broadcast? I think I would demand like podcast appearances. Ooh. Okay. I like your thinking. <laughs> yes. Help the show. Yes, like, like, you know, when it comes to, like, sign jersey, sign ball, t- like, eh, tickets would be nice or a suite would be nice for a game, something like that, like, just, um, or, like, scout seats or something, you know, someplace I haven't sat before. Like, you know, scout seats, like, I don't eat and drink enough at a game to, like, really take advantage of the price. So I've never been, you know, inspired to quite pony up. Like, if I did, if I was, like, a, somebody got hammered during games, I probably would go, yeah, I'll pay. The nine uh, for nine challenge, bucks. the nine beers for yeah. the nine hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I don't have that metabolism anymore. So I, I really can't even you'd, uh, trick myself into doing it for even one night. Um, so like, that'd be kind of cool. But yeah, when it comes to like signed jerseys, not really like just, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of at a point where like, I'm kind of wary about the stuff I get or just, you know, accumulating stuff. Um, so like signed baseball, like, yeah, you know, autographs don't really like, I, I like the, you know, I like interactions, mm-hmm. you know, like getting an autograph or selfies doesn't really, uh, you know, isn't the point so much as interaction. So I think just, yeah, signed, uh, you know, be like the kind of a radio show thing. Like you'll have a weekly appearance <laughs> for four appearances and we, you know, we have the right to exercise a, uh, an option for a following month. <laughs> Hammer it out. I, I, I like it. Monthly appearances on the podcast. Love it. I would say, yeah, weekly. Oh, and, weekly. Or like, or by way, however, you know, depending on how interesting that person is. <laughs> yeah. You really have to depend on whose first career home run it is yes. for the White Sox. Uh, I think for me, I, I'm kind of along with you, Jim, not with the podcast appearances, but I think I just want a photo taken and like spend 10 minutes with the player, shake their hands, congratulate them and just have this moment of like, Here's your baseball. I got to meet you. Can I get a picture? Great. And then I'll share it, you know, with people. And it's a good story, right? I'm not one that I need, you know, a jersey. I need a bat. You know, the kid that they're talking to that Dave's mentioning for the Houston Astros, he's a high school teenager. And I thought 
you know, for the, when the Astros said no to sign jerseys right away, that for him to bring five of his friends to an Astros game and get to watch batting practice and be on the field during batting practice, that would be an awesome experience where they get to meet their favorite players before a game. And they'll always remember that moment for the rest of their lives. And that is a really cool experience. So I think if I caught someone's first home run, let's say it's like Oscar Colas in a couple of years, because I sit in section 108 down the right field line. And if I caught it, I would just want to meet Oscar, have a picture with him. And then I'll always have that story that, Hey, I caught your first home run uh, and I got a picture out of it. I, Maybe that's lame for some of you. You may want to go, you know, the entire distance, get a suite and, you know, get a signed baseball bat from Oscar class. I don't know. I've got a bunch of junk already in the house. I I don't need more junk. So I I think I would just be suffice just meeting them, shaking their hand, giving them the ball and, and taking a picture with them. I think, you know, like in terms of experiences, like, uh, you know, I've seen batting practice, you know, up close or like, you know, kind of been on, on the field like once before. And that was cool. But I think like in terms of like experiences, like I like to shag a batting practice this time. Like, let's take it up a notch. Uh, okay. Put me in the <laughs> outfield. Let me see if I can track a major league fly. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh, man, that would be one heck of a. YouTube video that we could yeah. post on our YouTube channel. And again, channel. that'd be good for business. <laughs> it would be good for business. That's great. Put oh, a GoPro man. on me. Yeah, put your <laughs> strap your GoPro to my head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll do it that way. Yes, get that POV. Oh, yes. but I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts. Like, what would you guys do if you caught a first career home run from someone, and the White Sox came down to the stands and they asked you, what would you want in exchange? for that baseball definitely put that in the comment section on socksmachine.com for the podcast post i can't read can't wait to read what everybody's uh negotiation tactics would be in exchange for that baseball but dave thank you so much for your question and thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for po socks again if you would like to submit a question or topic for a future episode of the socks machine podcast you have to be a patreon supporter and you can do so at patreon.com slash socks machine where our patreon supporters they get more they get exclusive content every monday when we have po socks questions there are more po socks questions that we answer in the po socks version of the podcast which there's a special rss feed for and you get that by signing up at patreon.com slash socks machine where they also get ad-free versions of the podcast and website. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to get it. Again, we have monthly plans starting at $2 a month. You save with an annual subscription. Sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, we'll have our watch party Tuesday night for the White Sox-Blue Jays game. That's going to start at 7 p.m. Central Time. And we'll have Sox Machine live on Wednesday night, which you can watch on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine or on SoxMachine.com. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. As the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.